Psalm 48, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. It is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the utmost heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labour. You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish, shattered by an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen. In the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go round her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. This is the word of the Lord. As we remain standing, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your word is a lamp and a light to us. And Father, we pray that as we come to look at this psalm together now, that that would be our experience. If you making it alive, you enlightening us and you showing us the way forward. Father, speak to us this morning. We ask in the name of your son. Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I'm always interested to see who's in church on Bank Holiday Monday. Well, Bank Holiday Sunday. It would be odd, wouldn't it, who's in church on Bank Holiday Monday, on Bank Holiday Sunday. Those who return from their summer holiday looking brown... Those who are perhaps waiting for the school holidays to finish so they can get away. And I'm delighted to say this year we're in the second category. For the first time in 42 years, looking forward to going away as the schools go back. But I wonder, do you have a special place? I don't mean... uh, place like your bedroom or a study or a garden shed where you can you know, get away from the rest of the family and make sure they don't disturb you, but a space or a place that is special in your memories, a place of significance for you, perhaps somewhere where you went as a family that has special memories. 
perhaps somewhere that means something special to you. And perhaps as you think around that, there might be places coming to mind that you're thinking of. And I wonder if any of them also have a spiritual or a Christian or religious significance to you or about them. Or if on top of that, they've also got a national or a cultural significance. Now, if you've got somewhere that's ticked all those boxes, you're doing brilliantly. If you have, you've got a sense of how the Jews, the people of Israel, saw Zion, this city of Zion. It's perhaps hard for us to identify with it as British people. Where would we say came into that sort of category as Zion is described in Psalm 48? It might be the White Cliffs of Dover. They featured prominently in our national existence. But are they a spiritual place? Do they hold memories for us? Perhaps not. Perhaps more poignant is that picture of St Paul's Cathedral in the midst of the Blitz in the Second World War, standing untouched. Brings a sense of something to us. If you're from Hong Kong, I have to say I've absolutely no idea where you might identify with and what would be your place of memory. And do, do come and tell me afterwards. I'm intrigued to know. But sadly, I've got no idea, so I can't put up a picture for you. But Zion was a special place to the people of Israel because it contained many memories. It was a place of massive significance. We first find mention of Zion in 2 Samuel chapter 5, where it's a hilly fortress occupied by the Jebusites. And David leads an attack and captures the fortress of Zion, which becomes the city of David. And he takes the Ark of the Covenant and places it or puts it on this, this mount, this fortress mount. And it's on this mount that Solomon subsequently builds the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. And as we read through scripture, this term Zion becomes more expansive, becomes identified with the city of Jerusalem, and it becomes the place where the people of God dwell, and it becomes the place where God dwells, where God's people can meet with him. And it became so significant to the people of Israel in their thinking that as they turned to God and gave thanks for what he'd done for them, then it was perfectly natural for that to extend into giving thanks for Zion and for all that it contained. And praising God for Zion seemed perfectly natural because as they made out and made large the virtues and the brilliance of Zion, it became synonymous with praising God because God is good. So Zion is great. Zion is a great place because God in his goodness has given it to us. That was how they saw it. And this psalm that we have before us in Psalm 48 is one of what is known as Zion Psalms 
which is part of their content, turn to extolling the virtues of the city of Zion, the city that became known as Jerusalem, the city of the king. So as we turn to this passage, and I'd urge you to open your Bibles to page 570, we're going to look at the themes that the psalmist is trying to draw out, and we're going to look at three of those. And uh, just a warning, I'm going to spend more time on the first one than on the last two, so you know, don't despair and think, you know, we're going to be here till midday and the children waiting at the doors trying to get in. We're going to do that. And then we're going to have a think about how some of this might speak to us today and what it says to us. So the first thing that the psalmist wants to make clear is that Zion is a place of splendor. It's not just your average Milton Keynes. Now, if you come from Milton Keynes, I'm really sorry. And... uh, If you're from Hong Kong, you probably don't know Milton Keynes. So I guess it's not the place they show pictures of around the world. But Milton Keynes is concrete blocks and pretty plain houses and lots of traffic islands. And it's it's not an attractive place. But the psalmist says, Zion is a place of splendor. In verse 2 it says, it is beautiful in its loftiness. The joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zaphon, is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. It's in prime position. It's that city that's set on the hill that stands out, that you can see from afar, that you can marvel at as you walk towards it. It's clearly architecturally grand, because as you look at verses 12 and 13, It says, take a walk round Zion. Go round her counter towers. Consider her ramparts. View her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. I don't know what that implies to you as you read about it. Something like this. If you've ever been there, the town of Carcassonne in the south of France, you can walk round the walls. I don't suggest you do it in the middle of August. I've done it and it's very hot. But there's something marvellous about it being set on the top of the hill. And you walk around and see the grandeur of it. Or somewhere perhaps a bit closer to home. Not on a hill. Conway Castle. And you can walk around the castle and you can walk around the town. And marvel at the might of the people who built it and the greatness. You see, Zion is a place of splendor. It's not just your average place. It's lofty, it's high, you can look up to it. Architecturally, it's impressive. But the psalmist goes on because what he wants to make out, wants to make clear, is that Zion is more special than that. Because what really enhances it is that the king is present. The king is in residence. So it's not just the city in verse 1, it's the city of our God. 
his holy mountain. And in verse 3, God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. See, the key theme is that although it's a great location, although its architecture is strong, what makes Zion special is that the king is in residence there. It's not the numbers of towers. It's not the thickness of the walls. It's that the king is present, that he lives there. Do you understand the significance of this photo? It's Buckingham Palace, and it's got the royal standard flying there. You may remember the controversy around the death of Princess Diana, when as the crowds gathered in grief outside the palace and laid flowers there, there was no flag flying. Because that flag, that unique flag, says that the Queen is in residence. If you go to Buckingham Palace tomorrow, you won't see the flag flying. You won't see that flag flying. Because the Queen is there. You see, Buckingham Palace is big. It's moderately attractive. At best. But what makes Buckingham Palace special is that the Queen is there when the flag's flying. And it's to Buckingham Palace that you go to meet the monarch. That's what makes it special. It's not just a big house. When the flag's flying, the monarch is there. And you can go and meet with the monarch. You see, Zion wasn't just a wonder of the ancient world. It was the place where the king was. Where it was the place where the people went to meet with their God. That's what made it special. Yes, it was impressive. But really what made it special was that it was a place where people went and they met with God. Because God was in residence. And the psalmist is saying, Zion is the place of God. Zion is where the king is present. Zion is where you go to meet with God. But he takes it further than that. He just doesn't leave it saying the king is present. He goes on to say that this is evident and open to all. Because if you look back to verse 2, it says Zion is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of not just the Jews, not just that part, but of the whole world. There's a sense of universal about it, isn't there? That Zion was recognised not just by the Jews, but by the whole world. And it goes on to say, like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion. Now this was an important point. You see, I think my wife Rosemary is stunningly attractive. Always have done since I first met her as a young PE teacher. And I'm sure you see that as well. 
but you might think I'm biased. Because we have that saying, don't we? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And there's a sense in many ways that you say, well, of course the psalmist says that the city of Zion is fantastic. He's biased. It'd be me, like me writing, well, like us writing a review of you know, so what it's like to live in England. How positive, how great it is. It'd be biased. But the psalmist is saying it's not just me that thinks that. It's evident to the whole world. And it's comparable to the heights, the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. Now, I'll tell you now, you won't find any map with Zaphon marked on it. Various people have tried to explain where they think it might have been. But ultimately, it's a bit like Camelot. It's mythical. It's a place of legend. And if you read, you know, you look closely, and you've got your glasses on, and possibly your magnifying glass out, and you look at verse 2, you see there's that little B, superscript B. And if you look down at the bottom of the page, it says Zaphon, that B means Zaphon was the most sacred mountain of the Canaanites. See, Zaphon was this mount in many different religions. This special place. But what the psalmist is saying is Mount Zion is like the heights of Mount Zion. You Canaanites, where you think is your special mountain to go and meet your God? Well, that place where you meet God is Mount Zion. And so one little sort of line is picking up that sense that we all have as human beings that desire to have a relationship with our creator, a relationship with God. Wherever, whatever background you're from, whatever religion you're from, Zion is the place where you come and encounter God and find that relationship with him. That's what he's saying. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background, what your religion, that desire to know God, to have a relationship with your creator, will be fulfilled in Mount Zion. And that's why Zaphon's in there. That's where you find it fulfilled. So it's clear as he writes this psalm to make out and to make apparent that Zion is a place of splendour made more so because the king is in residence. It's where you meet God and it's where you have that relationship with your creator which is evident to all and open to whoever from whatever background. But he goes on. And the second theme that he wants to draw out of, or try or out of this psalm that you'll undoubtedly pick through as we read through it this morning, is that Zion is a place of security. And we find that in verses 4 to 8, and again in 12 and 13. It was clear that it was a formidable military presence or setting. 
For those who came to attack, it was daunting. And it wasn't just like a a single sort of army would come up and be daunted by the prospect of what lay ahead of them. Even coalitions, we find in verse 4. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together. Sounds a bit like the the Allied landings and D-Day, doesn't it? Different kings, different forces joining together. When they advanced together, when they saw her, they were astounded and fled in terror. Trembling seized them, pain like that of a woman in labour. It's possible that the psalmist is referring to the rout of the Assyrian army, where many of them died besieging Jerusalem under Sennacherib in 2 Kings 19. But for the people around, the city of Zion provided security. And in that way, it's no different to any other city. We've seen it going on in the Ukraine, haven't we? As we've seen on our TV, um, what's the news and watched it, that as the Russian army has invaded, so people have fled to the cities. We see it throughout history. It's what places like Chester, those castles of Carcassonne and Conway became. As the enemy advanced, rather than be picked out in your own, off in your own home, on your own fields, on your own farm, you fled to the security of the city and looked to the city for protection and you went inside those walls. And it's quite clear that Zion, with its citadels, with its towers, with its ramparts, represented a place of security. It was a formidable garrison. The psalmist is clear. That isn't what provided the security and the protection. Security ultimately didn't come from the thickness of the walls or the numbers of towers, the strength of its defences, but it came from God. And in verse 3, we read, God is in her citadels. He has chosen himself to be her fortress. Read in verse 7, it says that you, God, destroyed them like ships of Tarshish shattered by an east wind. goes on in verse 8, as we have heard, so we have seen. In the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. Yes, there were strong defences. Yes, they built their walls and their ramparts. Yes, they would repel and protect them against those who attacked. But ultimately, their security came from God and God's protection of them. Because God's hand was on the people of Zion, her protection was guaranteed. 
not through the number of cannons or the thickness of the walls or the number of towers, but because God's hand was on them and on that place. And that theme comes throughout this song. In verse 12 and 13, you're invited to go round to towers, count them. But you're reminded in verse 8 that it's God who makes us secure. The third theme that the psalmist wants to bring out is that Zion, God's city, is a place of worship. And we find this most clearly in verses 9 to 11. Because within the city of Zion was the temple. And we find in the temple, we meditate on your unfailing love. One of the first things that David did after he'd captured the fortress of Zion was to bring the Ark of the Covenant in the tent to that mount. That physical representation of God being with the people of Israel, he brought it to the sense that God was there. So it was a place where they could come and worship. The temple was a central part of Jerusalem, a key part of Jerusalem. And verses 9 to 11 recognise that sense that Jerusalem and coming to Jerusalem was something that people did to come and worship. There's three specific aspects of God's character that are picked out in these verses. First one in verse 9 is God's unfailing love. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. You see, the God of Zion doesn't act out of self-interest or for self-prominence, but he acts out of love. And it's that unfailing love that has driven the story of God's relationship with people. There's nothing about us that makes us acceptable to him or desirous to him. But it's his love for us that reaches out to us and drives the story of salvation. Jeremiah writes in in chapter 31, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. John chapter 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but have eternal life. See, God's love for us, whatever our past, whatever our current condition or situation, it's God's love for us that drives that relationship It's God's love for us that drives our salvation and it's God's love for us that keeps driving it. That unfailing love. Because we know that love gives up human love. But God's love is unfailing. The second thing that they've praised, reaches out for, is God's righteousness. Righteousness. 
Like in verse 10, like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. That righteousness, that sense of the integrity of God's character, that he acts in the right way with total consistency and reliability, not impacted or influenced at all by sin and the corruption that is in the world. The psalmist writes in Psalm 71, Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens. Who is like you, God? Psalm 111, Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds. And his righteousness endures forever. Isaiah writes in chapter 51, Do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be terrified by their insults. Moth will eat them up. The worm will devour them like wool. But my righteousness will last forever. My salvation through all generations. See, that unfailing love is accompanied by a consistency, by a rightness of doing things by an integrity that continues throughout time, that doesn't waver, that isn't corrupted, that isn't affected, that is absolutely there. And so it means we can know the God who is there because he doesn't change, because that righteousness remains the same. The third thing that is brought out in their praises is the judgments. Mount Zion rejoices, the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Judgments, decisions, fair decisions. Not partisan, not capricious, I'm feeling in a good mood or bad mood. No favourites. That sense of true justice and that's the third aspect of God that is brought out as we really think about those things for us today it's it's so much in contrast isn't it to those who we see leading around us and it grieves us and it would have been no different For the people of Israel, they would have looked around and they would have seen leaders who were corrupt, leaders who were partisan, leaders whose judgment was not to be welcomed. But our God is one of sound and honest judgment, who can be depended upon to judge fairly, to judge with integrity. And to bring justice. And so within Zion as they worshipped in the temple. A meditation on God's love. A praise for his righteousness. And a thankfulness for his judgments. And how sound they were. So what does this psalm have to say to us today? Well the first question I'd want you to ask yourself is where have you encountered the presence of God 
I remember a few years ago in, on a November Thursday afternoon walking into Durham Cathedral. The light, the light was failing, but there was something about the scale and grandeur and simplicity of the building that just spoke of the greatness and power of God. Or perhaps somewhere different, like St. Non's Chapel on the outskirts of St. David's on the Pembrokeshire coast. Most of the time I've been there, it's not been weather like that, it's been raining. But a small place of stillness and calmness amidst the wind and the rain. Or somewhere closer to home. Chester Cathedral. When I was uh, at Weaverham, we um, collapsed the timetable one day and we took all year 11 to Chester Cathedral. I have to say it wasn't my idea. And uh, they went and I had some trepidation. And it was one of those things where I thought, I need to go along to this because I'm not quite sure how it's going to go. And I turned up in the middle of the morning, you know, not sure what was going to greet me. And I have to say, the children were absolutely overawed by the place. Something about it spoke to them in a way that I couldn't imagine. So I was familiar. So let me ask you, what are the places that speak to you of the presence of God? It doesn't have to be a religious building. Our God is not confined to religious buildings or even any buildings. It could be anywhere. But the point is, encountering God isn't just an esoteric or a meditative experience. It's an event in real time and space and place. And that's what makes Christianity unique in many ways. Because Jesus didn't just come sometime... He came at a specific point in history. He died at a specific point in history. He died in a specific place. If you read the Old Testament, you can go through that, you find that they have these events and these adventures. And in each place where an adventure happens, they give it a name. One of my favourites is Genesis 32, where... Jacob is going to meet with Esau, who is last met when he tricked him out of his birthright and he ran off. And he goes, he's got his family with him, and the angel meets him and says, don't go meet him now, pitch your camp here. So at the beginning of chapter 2, he calls that place Mahananim, which means two camps. And during the night, he wrestles with that man in the brook. And Jacob says to the man, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And the man asks Jacob his name and he gives him another name. And Jacob says to him, what's your name? And the man doesn't tell him, but he blesses him. And Jacob names that place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, it is because I saw God face to face. And yet my life was spared. Now why did the people of Israel go around giving these sort of names to places? I think it's quite obvious. It's so they wouldn't forget. So they'd remember what God did there. And our God isn't confined to buildings 
or places you can encounter him anywhere. But what are the places where you have encountered God? Perhaps in your kitchen or in that garden shed or perhaps under a tree when after you've met that very attractive young PE teacher God speaks to you in a special way about what commitment means. You see, God intervenes on our behalf. He speaks to us directly. He meets with us in real time and space. What are the places where God has spoken to you, where you've encountered God? And why is it important to remember? Well, because if we're honest, we all go through difficult times. We all go through times when life is tough. We all go through times when God seems distant. What keeps us going in those times? Remembering those places where God has encountered us and where you've met with our God before. Second question I just want to ask you throughout there is where do you look for security? We tend not to build towers and thick walls these days. We're a bit more subtle about it. It's called electric gates and CCTV to keep people out. Or perhaps we've got powerful friends, important friends, networks that we cultivate because they'll come to our aid if we need them. Or investments or insurance policies so when we fall on hard times, we've got something to fall back on. Is that where our security lies? Or do we look to our security to God? David, when he writes Psalms 23, writes these words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. I don't know what you're fearful or anxious about this morning. Maybe you're a long way from family. Maybe there's illness in your own life or close friends or family. Maybe there's challenges at work or maybe it's the news of the cost of living crisis and energy prices and you just don't know how you're going to cope. Where do you look for your security? It doesn't mean that you won't go through those challenges. But as David said, you won't go through them alone. I walk through the valley of shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Jesus will be by your side as you go through the challenges. And finally, I want to throw out and ask this question. When people look at us, what do they see? Do they see the equivalent of those towers, the ramparts, the citadels, or do they see the living God? Because Paul writes to the Corinthians that we are the temple of the living God. He writes that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So when people look at us, what do they see? Do they see our own splendor, our own achievements, our own greatness? Or do they see the beauty of Jesus dwelling in us? Because what made Zion attractive ultimately was not the architecture, but it's the place where you met with God. 
And is that what people see when they look at us? You remember the words of that old song? Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wondrous compassion and purity. O thou spirit divine, all my nature refine. Till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Is that what people see when they look at us? Or do they see our own splendour? The psalmist begins this psalm and ends this psalm in the same way. Not with a focus on the city, but with a focus on God himself. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise is how he starts in verse 1. How he ends in verse 14. This God is our God forever and ever. This God of unfailing love, of righteousness, of judgments, who brings security and protection like no other, who dwells among his people and gives his people the real beauty. This God is our God forever and ever. And he will be our guide even to the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a great God. Far surpassing any place or any city. Father, we pray that as we go through the challenges of life, we would know our security comes from you. Father, as we go through the challenges that life throws us, we pray that we would know you walking alongside us. And Father, we pray that we would show to those around us, not ourselves, but you living in us. Because, Father, we thank you that your unfailing love has meant that we can have a relationship with you and live with you. Father, thank you for your greatness. Thank you that you're our God forever and ever. Amen.